Good morning, church. Man, we are chasing that hour. We got to find that hour again. Oh, man, I'm feeling it this morning. Anybody with me? We're going to judge everybody that walks in in about a half an hour. How dare you not change your clocks for it. Now, it is good to be with you. We've had an amazing weekend here at the Mount. Hey, men, how many of you were here yesterday? Man, what a day. We had a men's conference here, Noble Warrior, and I'm telling you, it was worth the price of admission. It was an amazing day. That final message, golly, by the U.S. Senate chaplain, uh, Chaplain Barry Black, he brought the house down. I I can't wait to see if we can get him here on a Sunday morning because it was just so rich and so strong as he just continued to quote verse after verse after verse of what God has hidden in his heart. And and men, I want to tell you this, listen, if you're here today and you weren't able to come yesterday, I've got some amazing news. It's not too late to join us even a little bit today. Today we're doing a kind of a recap of of what happened and giving some clear next steps. As soon as the last service is over today here at this campus, Stafford campus, at 1230-ish up in our chapel, we're going to serve you lunch, men, and we're going to give you some next steps of what you can take to keep growing and connecting here at the Mount. And if nothing else, come on, it's free Sweeto burrito. Come on. I want to be thinking about burrito the rest of this sermon right now. Don't miss this moment to take a step. Man, I'm so proud of what you did yesterday and what God's doing in us and in this church. And I don't want any man to miss this moment together. I want to especially say thank you to Dennis Parks. He was a catalyst in getting this conference here. Took two years to make it happen. Yeah. And I just appreciate his perseverance in it all. Well, hey, listen, we last week talked about prayer, and, and I just want you to know that as we step forward on this and we talk about application one week, don't think it cancels out the next week. Uh, we're claiming Colossians 4.2 that says, be devoted to prayer, be watchful and thankful. Last week, Tuesday morning, 5 a.m., we had over 20 plus people in our prayer room. That evening, 7 p.m., we had another 20-plus people in there. And then this morning, we had about 10 people in there uh, at the 7 o'clock hour. Listen, I say that to you to say don't forget to keep taking steps. Maybe you've been one that said, I'm going to commit to once a month to come. Praise God. May this next week be that once a month moment. Or you're going to come every quarter, four times a year. Don't miss a moment to stand on the wall and to pray for your church and watch what God can do through prayer. Speaking of prayer, as I welcome you here today, Stafford, as Pastor Andy said, we are worshiping together, linked in together, watching together to the sermon down at Fredericksburg. Pastor Andrew, we finally hit it, and we're now live there uh, on Sundays, and we are so excited to be there seven days a week now at this location on Courthouse Road, right down there in Fredericksburg. Matter of fact, next Sunday... If you live in Fredericksburg, next Sunday, we're going to have a come sneak peek preview at 3 p.m. on Sunday afternoon. We're going to have a reception to kind of welcome to the neighborhood all of our Mount Ararat families that live down there. If you would come and come to that gathering, we're going to have a time of just celebrating what God has done. And we're going to give you a tour of the brand new space. And so that includes anybody here at Stafford. If you want to come join us next week, 3 p.m. down at Fredericksburg, don't miss this moment uh, to be a part because we were ready on the ground floor watching what God is going to build down there. Well, again, as we get into the Word of God today, turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. As we begin this chapter, 
you got to know a little something about Romans. Romans is a rich theological book, but it's a tough book to read. There's things in there that are said very straight, very clear, but he's giving a lot of theology. As Paul writes this letter to this Roman church, he's trying to help them understand who they are and what they believe about the word of God. And, and we're going to lean in on chapter 8, and I just want to begin by reading this first verse with both campuses. I want to read this verse over us today as we begin this journey in a series called, What If? What If? Here's what it says. It says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hey, church, do you understand this verse? Hey, church, do you believe this verse? Hey, church, are you living this verse? Do you believe and trust God's word over your life to realize that you are not condemned if you are in Christ Jesus the Lord? Come on, Christian, this ought to be the greatest declaration for us as the body of Christ. And and so come on, don't let a, a lost hour of sleep dampen your joy today. Come on. God has made a way for us when there was no way. Come on. If you're gonna clap, put your hands together. This is what Come on. We're not watching tennis today. We're worshiping today. Come on. I want us to awaken each other. This, this, the, I preached this last hour, and as soon as I got done, man, the enemy started condemning me about what I preached this last hour. And so I'm trying to get up in his grill right now and say, you're not winning today. You're not going to rob us of the joy that we're about to experience today because we are not condemned. We are not condemned. We are not condemned. But you know what's interesting is about that declaration? We live in a world that is condemned and doesn't even know it. We're living in a world that says, I don't want anybody to tell me what's right and wrong. I don't want anybody to judge me. Don't you judge me, right? That's the culture we live in. And that's why they push against God. That's why they push away against church. Because I don't want anybody to tell me that I'm wrong. And what's the irony is the more we push against being judged, the more we show up in a, in, a, in a pit of condemnation. Come on, the world doesn't want to be judged? Then why in the world do we have social media? <laughs> the world doesn't want to be judged? Then why do we have a cell phone we never turn off? We live in a time that is constantly judged all the time. We don't escape it. Come on, come on. How many moms do I have in the room? We know anything about mom guilt? Man, isn't that a heavy burden to carry? Oh, my word, I feel like I'm messing my kids up. No, your kids are messed up because they're born in this world. Tim Elmore, he writes a lot about the next generation, and he talks about this current culture. He says generation Y and Z are marked by three words. Here they are. Anxiety, addiction, and amoralism. Pastor, what in the heck do you mean by that? Do I got to explain what anxiety is? You know why we have anxiety? It's because we're constantly, constantly connected. And we're constantly, constantly scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And and it's messaging and it's instant and it's constant. And it's creating anxiety and we're surprised that we can't handle it. 
And then the addiction part of it is, is that we have to constantly be stimulated. I need something to entertain me. I need something to numb me. I need something to occupy my time. I don't want to be silent, right? And it's like everything's got to be on demand, and i got to have limitless options all the time. And instead of creating fulfillment, it's creating anxiety and addiction. Come on, can I get a witness? Are you all with me yet? And I look at this, and I'm going, oh, my word. And then it gets worse, amoralism. What does that word mean? Well, it's taken pluralism, believe whatever you want to believe, and tolerance. Everybody can believe whatever they want to believe, and it's putting those things together. And even Christians that say, I believe in the truth of the Word of God, we compromise that because we have people we know that aren't living that way. And we're like, ah, oh, but I care about them. Ah, oh, I don't want to point that out. Oh. So what do we do? We take our beliefs and our relationships and we merge it all together and we stand for what? Nothing. I'm glad I came to church on this Sunday. <laughs> Woo! We don't want to be condemned, right? We don't want to be judged. And instead, what do we do? We sit in a seat of what? Condemnation. 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 I think about the working professional out there. Come on. I'm going to achieve. Come on, we live in a capitalist culture. I want to achieve. I want to reach goals. I want to reach dreams. And I wonder which is worse. The man or woman that's lived their whole career and they're coming at the end of the career and they realize I'm not going to get to the finish line. I don't have enough time to get there. Or the person that achieved everything and realized it didn't really fulfill me. Which is worse. Both of them, you're condemned, right? And then I think about the, the kid of this generation that's never known life without a cell phone, right? It's never known life without, without online, all this stimulus. And I'm thinking they're living in a world with no digital boundaries, no social media boundaries. And, and what are they? They're condemned by that culture they're living in. And then I think about the pressure of a teenager. He thought it was hard being a teenager and feeling awkward and becoming who you are as an adult. And every time you look in the mirror, you hate what you see, right? And now you get to measure it by everybody else's perfection. Because everybody's got filters on all their pictures, right? And I got I to gotta live up to something that just is never going to be possible. And what is it? It's I'm condemned. I'm condemned. The world that says I don't want to be judged and condemned is what? Living in condemnation. Is this preaching yet? I think about even the, the single adult, the pressure of making enough money to live here in Northern Virginia by yourself. And then the, maybe the cultural expectation of, why aren't you married? And the pressure of you need somebody to complete you, which is not true, but it's the expectation. And then I think about the person that's divorced that sits with us and it's like, oh man, the stigma of that. Is there weight with that too? What do people think, right? Because that didn't go the way I thought it was supposed to go or I'm in a situation or I'm carrying. Listen, there is so much about our world where it's too easy to, to be and to feel condemned. Yet we're a world that doesn't want what? No one to, to judge me. And yet God gives us this declaration today. Christians, God gives us this declaration today that he's speaking for us. Let me share with you one more quote. And this is, again, just the tension of the world we live in. Mark Driscoll, pastor, said this. He says, we live in a critical world. Isn't that true? We're always criticizing and being critical. But the world that we live in, look at these words. Say it with me, both campuses. Come on, come on. There, it's instant, constant, global, and permanent. 
And isn't that the pressure that's just impossible to keep up with? Condemned. Condemned. And yet, therefore in Jesus, we are what? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So how do we believe that? How do we live that? Isn't that really the key, Christians? And so today we're going to begin a journey as we move towards Easter to walk through Romans chapter Eight. Now, let me just tell you this. This book of Romans is, like I said, it's filled with theological teaching. And it can be intimidating when you first start reading through it. I've been, I'm reading through it right now in my quiet time. And I think I'm on the third go around just trying to keep immersing myself in these words. This book of Romans has been credited to, to leading some of the great historical preachers. It was the key. This book was the key that helped unlock salvation to their head and their heart. There are so many people that said this was, the, this was the construct that helped them make sense of, of God reaching into their life, into their sin, into their depravity, and saving them. And then in Romans 8, it's the chapter that's known as the inner sanctuary. It's like the most intimate, how God wants to lead us. It, fi it finds its way into Romans chapter 8. And so today, can I just go ahead and declare to you, I'm going to do, do a lot of teaching and a little bit of preaching. Can we do that today? Come on, I gave you coffee. Can we do that today? Yeah, yeah, a little bit of teaching. I mean, a lot of teaching, a little bit of preaching. I want to kind of lean there today. And y'all got to help me because already as I talk about not being condemned, I find the enemy going, yeah, you really believe that, pastor? Right? Condemnation, those voices can come at us at all times. Now, before I start unpacking this in Romans 8, I, I got to start with one more thought to kind of help set the stage. Again, I got to teach a little bit here. Can I tell you this? We got to start learning the difference between guilt and conviction. Because God uses one and our enemy uses the other. But do you know the difference between the two? Well, let's just kind of start there for a minute. Which one does our enemy use? guilt, right? Our enemy loves to beat us up with things that we've done, things that we're doing, and wants us to feel guilt, wants us to experience shame, wants us to get stuck instead of what? Being free. That's, that's the goal. Do we clearly know that? And so his, his weapon of choice is condemnation, and he loves using guilt. But God likes to use what? Conviction. Do you know the difference between the two? You see, one has to do with truth and grace, and one has to do with, with our own mistakes, and it's centered upon us. And so there's a difference in, in God's language, even in Scripture, of guilt and conviction. And I want you to kind of distinguish those two. Now, to kind of lean that thought a little bit more, stay there in Romans 8. But let me, let me show you this that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, talking about our enemy. He says, no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades. He's a pretender, right? He masquerades as if he's the angel of light, when actually he's not, right? And even his servants pretend and masquerade as servants of righteousness. Yet their end, their destiny, their conclusion, they're going to get what their actions deserve. But we do have an enemy and the name Satan is interesting, Asatan, it actually means accuser. His goal is to accuse, his goal is to condemn. That is what he wants. And so what does he use? He uses guilt. He uses guilt. He uses guilt to make us feel fear, to make us feel insecurity, to make us feel shame, and to make us get stuck in our pain. Come on, do you ever feel guilt when you come around food? 
Do you ever feel guilt when you think about your habits? Do you ever feel guilt when it comes to your relationships in your life? Do you ever feel guilt about what you're saying yes to and what you're saying no to? These insecurities all around us? Well, listen, that is the motive of what the enemy wants. His goal is to what? Is to condemn. But can I tell you some good news today? Come on, church. Didn't you come for some good news today? Can I tell you some good news today? God is not our enemy. God doesn't stand against us. He stands for us. And God uses conviction. So when God sent a love to this world, he sent it through his son, Jesus Christ. And his son came to give truth and grace. Truth and grace. Jesus never had a problem calling sin, sin. A sinner, a sinner. And then in Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus he died for us, right? So, so there's something about the conviction. You know what God wants today for you, for me, whether we call ourselves Christians or not? Matter of fact, if you're not a Christian, this is the best Sunday for you of showing up in church. Because God wants you to know that he doesn't want you to feel guilt today. He wants you to feel conviction today and realize that, that you can't. To realize that you've made mistakes. To realize that you are a sinner and that you need a savior and today he wants you to give your life to him, to give your sin to him, and to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a difference between guilt and conviction. Come on, is that good teaching today? Come on, that was worth the price of admission right there, right? Right there, just for us to clarify that. And then now we take that same teaching into our lives and we realize, we realize Sometimes you could have something and not really have something. You with me? Think about this. I got to illustrate this for you because you're not getting this yet. Think about this. About seven years ago, I got an invitation to, to go across the street here from our Stafford campus to a school called North Stafford High School. And I got this introduction from one of our students here. I went to his signing day. He was signing for the Naval Academy, and I met the coach, the head football coach, and he said, hey, you know, would you come and join us? Uh, he had read a few John Wooden books and said, hey, would you like to come be our character coach at football? And I thought, wow, here I am, a pastor getting invited to go to a secular school and to be a character coach. I'm in, but what does that mean? What does that look like? And, and I was excited. He said, man, I want you to help teach my young men uh, some values and character lessons and that can help them in football help them in the classroom, help them in their relationships with their friends and their family, and to one day hopefully help them in their futures. Listen, as a pastor, you don't have to ask me twice. I'm all in on that one. That is awesome. He said, okay, before you do this, though, you, you got to go down to the Stafford County building and you got to fill out some paperwork. And I get that. I get that. Listen, if I'm going to go in unchecked, they want to do a little check on me. And so what did I do? I filled out what? I filled out a background check. I filled out an application. Uh, I, I got fingerprinted, right? And, and, and they began to run some things on me. And, and then they gave me an ID with my picture on it that distinguished exactly who I am and what I'm going to do. Now, that, that's good. Why do they do that? Because they want safety for their kids. Praise God they want safety. Can I tell you, I get background checked here at this church every few years too because we've got to continue to do that. Why? We want to create safe environments for kids and students to meet Jesus. Y'all ought to love that, right? School system, same way. So here I am now with my new ID. 
And because my job, a lot of it is after hours, I'm not in the building during the school day, after hours, I go to the school, I park, oftentimes I'm on the outside of the building, and I realize something real quick, when you go to a public school, and it is locked down like Fort Knox, you're, you're not getting in that building. Again, why? We want to keep what? Kids safe. And so there's been many a days I was at that steel door on the outside, bang, 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 hey, somebody open up, Right? Or texting one of the coaches, hey, can you come let me in? And I'd be out there, and sometimes, man, it was 100 degrees outside. It was blazing hot. There's days it's raining out there. There's days it was freezing cold. It was snowing. And I'm banging, and I'm banging, and I'm banging on that door. Sometimes for like 20, 30 minutes before I can finally get somebody to come to the door and pop it open and let me in, right? Are y'all with me yet? Been doing that for seven years. So this Last season, one of the practices, the end of the season, I was with coaches, and, and every day they wear their lanyards with their keys jangling, jangling at the end with their ID and that kind of thing. And I'm walking up with one of the coaches to the back door, and I was ready for him to put the key in the door, but instead he pulled out his ID card and he just swiped it on the back of the door. I said, ho, 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 sh- sh- shut that door. Shut that door. Let me try something here. Let me try something here. Let me, listen, 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 listen. And I went, I went, I went. Boop, click. (laughs) Frenchburg, y'all better not be laughing at your pastor. Seven years, seven years, I'm in bam, bam, let me in. And all along, I had a car key. Sometimes you can have something and not really have something. Sometimes you, come on, am I preaching yet? Listen, can I tell you, that's exactly what, that's exactly what Paul's trying to help this church understand. Come on, you have something in Jesus Christ, and sometimes you can have it, but you're not living it yet. You're not experiencing yet. You got the key that's going to unlock it all for you. You, come on, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So then why are Christians living condemned? We don't know what we have. And if we do, we're not courageous enough to walk in faith in it. Look at me here, Romans 8. Paul wants these Christians in Rome to know they have gained something in a relationship with Jesus, and it's more than just salvation. It's now being able to walk in a new way with God. Now, to understand this story, can I give you a little bit of background? In Acts chapter 2, we, we hear something called Pentecost. And this is when, this is when, you know, that, that day that 3,000 people get saved. Well, do you know some of the people that day that got saved were, were from Rome? Jewish Christians got saved that day, and guess what they did? They went back home. And then they started this church in Rome. Jewish Christians now leading their neighbors and family members and friends to, to trust Jesus alone. And not only that, they're beginning to have an impact on the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people in Rome. And this young little church starts to grow. Now, Claudius, the emperor, come on, look at this dude. He's a real attractive guy with a haircut, right? Claudius, the emperor of Rome, says, I want to get all these Jews out of here. And he pushed the Jews out at that hour. And so what happened to that church is the Gentiles just continued to meet and began to take over the leadership and continue to lead this church preaching Jesus. And then slowly, the Jews start to migrate back into Rome and they return back to their church but then there's kind of this conflict of who's going to be leading the church. 
If you're Jewish, you still are holding on to some of your Jewish traditional stuff and trying to impose that. And then if you're Gentile, you're like, I walked in the world, now I'm walking with Jesus. And sometimes that began to blur in. And what Paul's realizing is that he writes this letter to give them some structure of what their church should be about theologically, what they're going to think, how they're going to live, how they're going to behave. And and in this, right here in chapter 8, he's trying to help them to see who they are in Jesus Christ so he can bring unity back again to the church. So is it a tough book to read and understand? Keep reading it. Keep reading it and watch what God would unveil to you, to me, to us. Now let's go there in light of that. Now before I get to chapter 8, I got to do a little background story. So let me start in chapter 2 and I'm going to begin in verse 8. And, and I want you to think with this in mind, the Jew and the Gentile. Listen to the word. It says, but those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be a consequence. It will bring wrath and anger. Amen? Or oh man. That's right. There will be trouble and distress for every human being that chooses to do evil over following God, right? First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God doesn't show favoritism. Now watch this. All who sin apart from the law, come on, that's the Gentiles. They'll perish apart from the law. All who sin under the law, come on, that's the Jews, will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who what? Come on. Obey the law that will be declared righteous. Now, I thought today, losing an hour, we might need a little bit of help. And I wanted to give you a tool today. So I thought instead of me giving just notes, I'm going to draw you a picture. Come on, y'all ought to feel blessed today. And so we're going to do a little bit of an illustration to kind of help you see as we unpack the scripture today. And I hope this next week you'll be with a friend at lunch hour and you can pull out a napkin and draw the same picture for that friend. I hope you can pull out a piece of notebook paper at school and say, let me tell you why I believe. Let me tell you what God has done for me. And I hope you can explain it like this too because this is not, this is not original with me, but this could be helpful for all of us in looking at what God's trying to say to us in Romans here. So let's just go ahead and start with this. It always starts with God. Amen? It always starts with God because God is the one who initiated with us. God is the one who created. God is the one who saved. And so God shows up, and, and let's just kind of put man right here. Come on. You didn't know your pastor was an artist, did you? This front row, y'all are. Now, let's just kind of think for me for a minute because there's some, there's some tension here in the story. The Jewish people began their relationship with God following his word and his law, right? And so let's just kind of say this. It's, it's the law. The law was directing their steps, right? They're showing them that they're supposed to be distinct and different. And this is what God wants for his people. Yet, now these Gentiles are hearing this good news message. And, and it, wanted, it did something in their heart where they wanted to do some good things too. So let's just say they're trying to get to God through some good works. And then there's just the rest of the world living like ever they want to live, believing whatever they want to believe. And let's just say, I can do whatever I want to do. I can be my own God. And I'm just going to be like the world. 
okay? And let's just say, one's trying the law, one's trying good works, one's trying the world, but it all ends to the same conclusion, I can't get, I can't get to God. Are you with me? Come on, God's right here, he's right here, I can't get to him. How do I get to God? It doesn't work. But see, you need to know something. Hey, Jewish person, there's a purpose for the law, but the law was never intended for you to be good enough and for you to save yourself. No, the Bible tells us what the purpose of the law was, right? Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law alone. The law, though, was supposed to do what? Make us conscious of our sin. See, there's a role for the law. Man, I'm a sinner. I can't get it. I can't do it. I'm not good enough. What do I do now, right? If we keep reading, look at this. But apart from the law, right, the righteousness, the law of righteousness God has made known to us is also which the law and the prophets can testify. This righteousness is given through, hello, faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, faith and believe. But see, there's really no difference between the Jew and the Gentile for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Come on, does that make more sense to you today? Does that help you? Listen, in Proverbs 14, 12 says, every man tries to plan his course right and it all ends in, in death. We don't like to think about this idea, but our reality, when we do things our way, it's gonna lead to sin and it's gonna ultimately lead to to death. These are stark realities. Come on, if you're not a Christian, that's the only reality, right? Now, as we look at the tension of Scripture and we feel the weight of this, this is just my introduction. Woo! Turn to your neighbor and say, are we going to eat lunch today? I don't know, the men are getting sweet or burrito. So let's just look at that verse again. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is, come on, no condemnation, right? So if there's no condemnation when you're on God's side, you stand condemned when you're standing on your own side. Are you with me? But we've had two things that said it's about faith and believe. And right here it says in Jesus Christ. So the good news is what? Jesus has made a bridge for us to get to God. Come on. Praise God. Praise God for Jesus. Right? Because when I'm standing over here on my own side, the only relationship I can have with God is judge. Right? But in Jesus, oh man, good news. I get a different relationship there. Instead of him being my judge, now he gets to be my savior. Come on, come on, come on. Are y'all still awake with me today? This is good news. This is so basic. It's like, pastor, come on. We're not in elementary. You know what? Sometimes we got to go back here, right, to awaken because guess what? You can, you can say this, but do you live it? You can say this, but do you believe it? Because we sure live in a world that condemns us and sizes us up and makes us feel worthless and guilt and shame. And we always go, man, how do I ever arrive? And yet, 
there's a spiritual truth that's not taken root in our hearts and lives yet. There's something here for us. Let's keep reading. Look at, look at verse 2. Because of Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit gives life that has set you free from the law of sin and death. Listen, on my own, it's sin and death. Over here, come on, it's, it's, it's God setting me free. Isn't that good? But see, it's not walking by the spirit of the law. It's walking by the what? The law of the spirit. This is, this is probably the, the aha for, for me as I wrestle with this this week. Listen, at our church, I'm always wanting you to meet Jesus, right? I'm wanting you to get your life in Jesus. I'm wanting you to realize that life is through Jesus. But listen, it doesn't stop at salvation. Come on, the real living is living it out. Living it out. How do I get here? It says what? It says faith, right? It says believe. Isn't that how I get there? Now, I, I kind of messed up both campuses. So I'll go ahead and confess this. There's a title on your page there. It's the wrong title. I didn't realize this till like Thursday afternoon. It's the wrong title. And by that time we printed it and I'm thinking, no, they're just going to get the wrong title, right? What does it say on yours right here? Come on, front. y'all been talking with me. What does it say? What if. It says what if and then what's the tag on it? You can be forgiven, right? What if you can be forgiven? And that maybe is a message for uh, some of that's some of that's lost, some of that's not a Christian yet, some of that's over here. You can be forgiven, but you know what? That's not a message for the believer. What if Christian, you actually lived forgiven? What if you lived? Like you believed he was your savior. What if you lived as you actually walked in freedom? What if you actually lived knowing that I'm not condemned anymore? What would that do to your outlook? What would that do to your relationships? What would that do to the way you carry yourself in every arena? If you realize, man, I'm not condemned. Man, I'm not condemned. It would change. It would change everything. But that's what walking in the spirit actually looks like. Now, this is a key thing here. Before you get to Romans 8, the word spirit only shows up two times. Once you get to chapter 8 and beyond, it's like 19, 20 times the word spirit shows up. Why? Because God's trying to show us it's now a relationship that we're in and we're walking in a spirit relationship with him. The chapter 8 is all about walking in the spirit. That's what the, the whole coming into the sanctuary is about. It's like how do I now live it in a way where I actually live free. Now let's just kind of get real practical here. If I am not condemned, what are the things in my life that are telling me that I am condemned? Or let's go real personal. Who are the people that are telling me that I am condemned? I hate to tell you this. If you have any authority in your life, if there's a boss, if there's somebody that's over you, their words carry a lot of weight. What they say to you both positively and negatively has weight over you. I wonder how many of you right now, if you were to confess before God, right now you feel condemned every time you go to work because of the, the environment, because of the people over you right now. But just because you feel it doesn't mean it's true, right? Sadder commentary is this. The people that have authority to speak into you is not just authority at work. It's the people closest to you. Whether it's intentional or not, the words of those that you love the most carry the most weight. That's why mom and dad, it hurts when your kid gets mad and says, oh, I hate you. Right? Condemnation. 
That's why when we're trying to motivate sometimes and we have to go harsh and we say things to hurt because we're trying to move our kids, and it's like it's condemnation, right? Come on, relationship. You're in, boyfriend, girlfriend, your words can condemn. Come on, husband and wife, right? And not only are we uh, open to receiving condemnation, we're open to what? Giving condemnation to those that we love. But can I tell you, the loudest person in your life and in my life that speaks condemnation is you. What are you saying to yourself about who you are? Oh, man, I got done preaching the last hour. It felt like crickets that hour. And then I got done, and I'm walking the halls, and I hold mine, and I'm going, oh, my word. Golly, I'm, I just heard myself talking condemnation to myself. Y'all don't like to hear that, do you? The hardest days for me is Monday. Replaying everything that I said, everything I should have said, everything, ah. Oh. And it's the enemy, he knows, he knows, he knows. Listen, if he, can't, if he can't keep me from getting saved, then he'll get me stuck in feeling condemnation instead. Isn't that true? And his words will paralyze me. And I'll start to believe this side when really I should be living over on this side. Is, it, is this reaching anybody today? I just, I just, I don't even know how this is playing. And I look at this and go, you know, God, maybe this sermon was for Todd Gaston today. And if that's the truth, God, I want to be open to your word, right? But this is, this is a paralyzing deal. And that's why I got to do a lot of teaching here. Because if we can understand this, then maybe we can actually begin to get closer to living with him in a, in a daily walk with Christ. Listen, we live in a world that's all about this. But we live in a world of truth and grace. Hey, church, we're, we're, we're afraid of the truth. We're sometimes ashamed of the truth. Why? Because it's not politically correct. It's hard. Why? Because we got relationships with people. Somebody we love doing a sin, yeah, it's sinful. The Bible calls it sin. But, man, I just care so much about that person. I don't want to feel bad with that person. So let's just don't ever just bring it up, Right? And I just wonder this condemnation, how it plays and how it plagues the church and how it paralyzes us from being people of God and people that are free and forgiven and walking with our Savior and living as we're not condemned. And so we got to see what we have in Jesus. You know, as I wrap this up today, I was even thinking about a quote I recently read by Mark Batterson. He's written lots of books. He's a pastor in D.C., theater church. And, and he, he, said, he said this about the cross and about the gospel. He said, Jesus ju didn't just die on the cross to forgive you. No, his aim was much higher than that. Come on. He died to change you. I hope you're not the same today as you were yesterday, that we're becoming somebody new. The bottom line of today's message, just to go ahead and give it to you, Stark and straight, here it is. In Christ, in Christ, you are no longer defined by what you did wrong. You are defined by what Jesus did right. That's the message of no condemnation right there. Come on. You and I, we did everything wrong, but no longer is that how God sees us. No. The only one that gets to be judged now is Jesus Christ because we are on the other side. We have been set 
free. We're now defined by what Jesus did. So now that's given us permission and freedom to walk in the spirit. Can I just declare some things over you today? Come on, both campuses, even online. Nothing can claim you any longer. Nothing can control you. Nothing can condemn you. Come on. Nothing can claim you. Nothing can control you. Nothing can condemn you if you are in Jesus. Do you believe that today, church? Will you live it this next seven days? And if you need a reminder, we'll be back here next week, same time, same place. Don't change your clocks next week, though. I love how simple, but yet how challenging God's invitation is to us. The only way we cross over, it's not by our good works. It's not by us being faithful to God's law. It's not living like the rest of the way the world's living. All those ways lead to death. The only way we cross over is in Jesus by faith, right, and by believing. Jesus once said this in John chapter 5. He said this, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged. That's good news today because you have crossed over from death to life. Man, I'm so grateful I don't have to <laughs> be judged anymore. Am I pushing that too hard? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, what does John 17 say? John 3, 17 says what? Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came to save it. Listen, if you stay here today and say, I'm, I'm still saying no to God, I'm still saying no to salvation, I'm still saying no to Jesus, then you're choosing judgment. <laughs> you're choosing separation and you're choosing sin and death. Come on, that is your surrender today. But today, I believe God brought you here for a purpose and for a reason. And I just wonder how God is maybe revealing himself to you today. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back out. And, and even as they come back out, we can declare it again. But in Jesus, we have been invited into salvation and into this Christian life. And as I think about the person listening today, that this finally is helping them see what they're missing in their life. Maybe you're here today and you've just begun to take steps towards God. Come on, can I give you a clearer picture of what God wants to do today for you? And so I invite you to trust and believe and to put your faith and to trust and believe in Jesus to, to be your Savior. But some of you have been on a journey for a while now and you've been asking questions and you've been taking some steps toward God, but you've never fully surrendered to Christ yet. You've never given him everything yet. And what if God brought you here today so you could surrender all to him? That would be worth the price of admission today to church. That'd be better than a free cup of coffee to awaken the life that's possible. But see, the bigger invitation today is to the Christian that says they believe they're not condemned, but are living as if they're condemned all over again. To the Christian that's not walking in freedom, 
that's not walking in the Spirit. To the Christian that's stuck in guilt instead of living a life of conviction. You see, the difference maker here is for us to say, how can I live in a different way if I truly believe I'm not condemned, that I am forgiven, that I am free? What does that look like in my walk with God today? Come on, can I be any clearer than that? Today, as I think about this teaching, I think about my my stupidity of (laughs) knocking on that door on the outside, let me in. And all along I held the key, right? Can I tell you today, in Jesus Christ, you already hold the key. It's just time to awaken to it and to realize what it unlocks for you in your life's past and what it does. Listen, some of you today need to get some courage today because you're not condemned and you need to get enough courage to go apply for that job. You need to get enough courage to go to that relationship and say, we need to have a talk. Come on, parents, you need to get some courage today. Stop trying to be best friends with your kids and say, hey, we gotta talk because there's some things you're doing that are are gonna hurt you. And I I gotta be your parent I gotta, I gotta lead with conviction, not with guilt. We gotta talk through some things, come on. It's time to make some peace in some of those closest relationships. Come on, today some of you, the conviction is is you've been speaking condemnation to people and you've been crushing the people around you. And today God, by the Holy Spirit, is convicting you of that and saying, you gotta change your, your language. Come on, you're not condemned. Speak life, don't speak death over people. Come on, what is the application for you today? What could God do for you today? Tomorrow, our next Sunday, we're gonna talk more about what it means to have the mind of Christ and how we walk this out in this spirit life. But today, God's speaking today, and and, and I'm just curious today what, what you have heard from the Lord. So I'm gonna ask you to do something for me. Would you bow your heads and your hearts, both campuses, even online? I wanna ask three questions. And then I'm going to invite you to make a spiritual decision to the Christian and the unbeliever. Here's the first question. Are you living in sin or are you walking with Christ? Question two, are you allowing a sinful memory to hold you hostage? Question three, are you living in guilt or are you walking with conviction? God, today I pray in Jesus' name for everybody that is listening to your words today. God, I pray in Jesus' name that the loudest voice, the loudest whisper that we hear is you, Holy Spirit, speaking to that most inner place in our life. God, I pray for the Christian here today that's not been walking in freedom. Today, you loved us enough, you've convicted us enough today, God, that we realize that we need to confess our sins and to turn from them, to turn back to you. Help us do that today by the power of Jesus Christ. Help us to realize today that we're not condemned. I pray, God, for that Christian to go back to their home today and to make a plan for the next seven days of how they're gonna talk, how they're gonna interact and what they're gonna believe to be true. God, I pray that we would would be a witness for you this next seven days 
of living like people who are no longer condemned. But God, today, I just love how our church invites people to come. And I believe today you have flipped on the light switch for somebody today to finally see what side they're standing on. And God, somebody today has been convicted because they're standing on the opposite side of you, God. And God, whether they've been working towards you with good works or trying to live up to the word, or maybe they've been living for themselves, God, it doesn't matter. The destination is the same, sin and death and separation from you. And God, today you have spoken clearly to them so that today they could be found so today they could cross over to life so that today by faith in Jesus alone, they could believe and they could receive their salvation in you. If I'm speaking to you today, I want you to take a faith step with me. I'm gonna invite you to pray three sentences to God so that today through belief and faith, you could come to the side of life Come on, talk to God, that's what prayer is. Tell him this, say, God, I'm sorry I've not believed in Jesus. Please forgive me and give me eternal life. Thank you for sending Jesus to save me. In Jesus' name I pray. Come on, with your head bowed, eyes closed, both campuses. When I count to three, if you just prayed today and you meant those words, and today God saved you, I want you to show me by a raised hand. One, two, three. Right now, put your hand high. Today I just gave my life to Jesus. Hold it up, keep it up till we get to you. Come on, two hands right here. Anybody else? Keep your hand up till we get to you. Praise God. Come on, Fredericksburg. We're reaching down there today. Praise God. Here in the back as well. Keep your hand up till we get to you. Come on, you can put your hand down once we get to you. Keep it up. Come on. Father God, thank you for what you have spoken to our church today. Thank you. And in Jesus Christ, we are no longer condemned. Oh, may we sing like we're saved. May we live like we're forgiven. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Come on, let's stand.